Welcome to Vallejo's Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast on Sunday, January 19th, 2020. Reverend Dr. Jamie Crook is preaching. The message is Healthy Church 101. The Old Testament scripture this morning is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the New Testament lesson is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said this. He said, On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. He said the church will prevail. The church will not fail. Jesus said He is building His church. And this statement by Jesus is being fulfilled all around the world. All around the world, Jesus is building his church and the powers of darkness and the gates of death will not overcome it. In the continent or on the continent of Africa, about a hundred years ago, it's estimated that the population was about 10% Christian. In 10 years from today, they estimate that on the continent of Africa, about 40% will be followers of Jesus. Jesus is building His church. On the continent of Asia, the Christian population is about 350 million. Five years from now, they estimate that it's going to be 450 million. Jesus is building His church. In the Philippines, the estimated growth of the Christian church will be about 57 million in the next decade or two. Jesus' church is growing, is exploding, is having an influence. But not all is well. In the United States, the number of Christians in the next 30 years will decrease by about 20 million people. You know as well as I know that my microphone is making an awful noise. <laughs> so let me take a time out from this sermon because I can see you all going like this. <laughs> and I know it's not my preaching, I hope. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure. It's not my back. <laughs> okay. difficulty okay? <laughs> I mean, how do you jump back into this now? <laughs> you know as well as I do that things in the United States, especially in the mainline churches, uh, are not experiencing that at the present time. In the United States, there are 3,007 counties. In the United States, there are 3,007 counties and In every one of those counties, there's a smaller percentage of followers of Jesus than there were 20 years ago. Not one county in the United States has a higher percentage of Christians today than it did 20 years ago. So here's the question I want to ask this morning. The church, a hub, a club, or perhaps a pub? Our scripture is uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. 
It starts out this way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose or of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not only looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What the Apostle Paul is saying, and kind of my slang, is he's saying the church should be a hub, not a club. Let me explain. Here's where I talk louder. This was and is my varsity letter jacket from college. I was a part, thank you. I was a part of the varsity club. I went to Miami University, hence the M, in Ohio. Actually, that's not a joke. It's go Red Hawks. Back to the sermon. I was a part of the varsity club. There were about 14,000 students on campus, of which 325 were a part of the varsity club. That's 2% in case you're wondering. I was a man on campus because I was in a club. The club had very, you had, to, you had to pay your dues and win a varsity letter. But the club was primarily about the club members. The club was primarily about me, hence the M. The circumference, the circumference, those outside the club existed to serve the club members. Life in a club. This is from some poor person's bike outside. Not a... <laughs> this is a bike. This is the hub of the bike. The hub exists for those that which is outside. The spokes reach out. The hub needs to be strong. The hub needs to be vital. But the hub does not exist for itself. The hub exists for what's outside itself. The, the circumference exists. The center exists for the circumference in a hub. In a club, the center does not exist for the circumference. The circumference exists for me. The letter in a club is M for me. The letter in a hub is O for others. The church. A club? Or a hub? Now before you um, answer too quickly, consider these contrasts. A club is basically about my needs. A hub is about the needs of others. A club 
looks mostly inward. A hub looks outward. A club seeks to be blessed. A hub seeks to be blessed to be a blessing to others. A club lives and dies for itself. A hub dies to self so that others may live. A club asks most of the time, well, what's best for me? What's best for us? A hub asks, what's best for those we hope to reach? Clubby people ask, you know, I don't like that. I prefer this. Hubby people often say, well, what do they like? What are their preferences? A club tends to be about rules and routine and tradition. A hub seeks to follow Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A club is more focused on maintenance. A hub is more focused on mission. The church. A club or a hub? Your church. A club or a hub? Our denomination. A club or a hub? Churches, followers of Jesus in the United States. A hub or a club? Now, you probably know being around church for a while that the inertia of a church is towards a club. The gravitational pull, the leaning of any established church is toward club and not hub. Studies show that most churches peak in terms of attendance and vitality at about the 10 to 15 year mark. And we don't want to die but most of us are resistant to change. Oh, we want to grow. We want to be vital. We want to be vibrant. But do we want to change? Speaking of change, how many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> One, to change the light bulb, and four, to bind the spirit of darkness in the room. How many Calvinists does it take to change a light bulb? None. God has predestined when the lights will go on or off. How many fundamentalists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, because any more would be compromise. How many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb? How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They use candles. <laughs> My favorite. How many Episcopalians? I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Does it take? How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Four. One to change the light bulb, one to bless the elements, one to pour the sherry, and one to offer a toast to the old light bulb. <laughs> How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change. <laughs> Honestly, I was so hoping you would laugh. But again, we want to grow, but we don't like change. One person wisely said that all change 
at least at first, is experienced as loss. If you have children, you know that you hope that they grow up healthy and whole and someday can be sustainable on their own. You want them to grow into that until they do and there's change and it hurts. I was a pastor in Davis, California for uh, 15 years and before I got there, the church had gone through uh, many years of decline. They had gone through five interims in the last eight years so that when I showed up, they were ready. They were humble. I remember one of the first Sundays, I actually linked the theme from a song to the sermon, and they were like, wow, you're awesome. My point is they were, they were, they were ready. Uh, all the pieces were in place in terms of uh, the people in the church. They needed a point leader. And uh, that would have been me. And so it was an exciting period. Within a couple years, the service went from one service to two services to three and then four. Students were coming. Families were coming. Uh, answers to prayer was happening. People were excited. It, it was an exhilarating time. But not for everyone. I remember very clearly uh, one Sunday when there was literally a line up to get into the, the door was very narrow, uh, to get into the 930 service and a woman came up to me and she goes, who are all these people? I don't know anyone here anymore and I can't even find a parking spot and I have to come here 15 minutes early just to sit in my seat before someone else gets it. <laughs> Now, it's easy to be critical of that attitude, but, you know, when you can't find parking spaces and they're sitting in your seat that you've sat in since you built the church, so we all want to grow. But we all don't like growing pains. We don't want to change. The challenging thing is that when you do individually have a hub mindset, when a church or a business or an institution has a hub mindset, you find that hubbiness leaks. It leaks. We're prone to club from the very first M word that most of us uttered, mine. No one had to teach us that. From the very first M word that we said as a little kid, a club mentality has been etched into the crevices of our soul. And when we venture out into a hub mentality and act like a hub, things may happen, but it's hard. And we find ourselves wanting to kind of slink on back to familiarity and what's comfortable, comfortable, safe, and secure. So what's interesting when you look at some of the letters of the Apostle Paul is that he's writing to many churches that are about 10 to 20 years old. The church at Philippi was just like that. Paul had started this new church around 50 AD. And they had started out with a hub mentality, but slowly and surely they were becoming a club. So Paul writes these words, value others above yourselves. Not only looking to your own interests, not only looking. You are a strong hub needs to look to their own interests. If you're a caregiver, 
You need to, to take care of yourself first. But not only look into your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's coming out of a... That's being written to a church that's creeping into club mode. The church at Philippi started off with a mission focus. The Apostle Paul is on a second missionary journey. He and his companions are going to a place called Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And he gets to a city and he, he preaches the gospel. And uh, a woman, a woman believes and becomes a follower of Jesus. Her name is Lydia. She's probably fairly well-to-do because she sells expensive uh, purple cloth. Paul continues to preach and teach, and then another person, or really a non-person in that day and age, becomes a follower of Jesus because it's a slave. They don't even put that person's name in the Scriptures. They're a non-person, but they become a follower of Jesus. So here's a woman of no status, no money, no rights, the lowest of the low. Paul continues to preach and he gets in trouble. He gets thrown into jail. But as God would have it, the, the jailer somehow listens to Paul. And I mean, how do you like to be chained to the Apostle Paul? And, and he shares the gospel. And so a Roman citizen becomes a follower of Jesus as well. So here's what I want you to see. Paul and others left the comfort of their hub club and went someplace else. They went on some other person's turf. He preached and shared the good news of Jesus and three people, three people, a merchant woman from, named Lydia, a slave woman from Greece, and a jailer who was a Roman citizen. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. It begins to fulfill what was written all the way back in, in Genesis, which was our Old Testament reading. God said, I'm going to bless you so that. You and I have a so that. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to other people. You are blessed to be a blessing. Hub, not club. It was Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, who gave up his life trying to stop Hitler, who wrote these words. He said, the church is the church only when it exists for others. But here's the challenge. When you're a hub, church, or business, you get people. And with people come programs. And with programs come budgets. And with budgets comes committee and order. And that's a good thing. But so often, the hub church becomes a club church because we have to focus on maintenance and not mission. You don't throw maintenance out. But so often, that can become the focus. Paul writes again, or Paul writes, and I'll say it again, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not only looking to your own interests again, but also to the interests of others. Why? Why does he have to repeat that? Because for me, I know that I'm interested in me. I don't have that letter jacket on, but... but it fits so comfortably well. My needs. 
my desires, my preferences, my styles. It wasn't just them. I mean, it wasn't just us. It was started back then. And then Paul ends this wonderful section by giving us the greatest example of a person who moved, who stayed, and was about being a hub. He writes these words, In your relationship with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus was in very nature God. And he didn't use that for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Let let that sink in just a little bit. Jesus, who's in very nature God, didn't take advantage of that, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in a human appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The worst of the worst. Therefore, as a result, God lifted him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have the same attitude. Have the same attitude. Now in the church, in our personal lives, we need actions. We need plans. We need vision. We need strategies. We need maintenance. But it seems to me that underneath all that, we need to have an attitude. Attitudes should drive our actions and not the other way around. The attitude of humility, the attitude of hub, not club, the attitude of oh, others, not M, the attitude of being blessed to be a blessing. This was the attitude of Jesus. So again, the question. The church, a hub or a club? say, what about the pub? (laughs) And I brought my German mug from Germany. What about the pub? My wife and I went to Europe two years ago. We had our first stop on a purposeful 20-hour layover in Dublin. You'd like to see some pictures? Thanks for asking. I brought some. So here we are. Uh, this is my wife. We did, uh, took a tour of Trinity College. We ate lamb stew, drank some beer, listened to great Irish music, and then we went to church. I'm a pastor, so we go to church. But this wasn't any other kind of church. It's not a normal church. This wasn't a house of food. I mean, it was a house of food. It wasn't a house of faith. That's the church we went to. But it wasn't a church. Take a look at the next slide, please. It's a restaurant and bar. 
the church no longer existed as a witness to Jesus, but now was a well-known bar and pub. It's a great bar and pub. But as I walked around inside, I felt incredibly, incredibly sad. The places where they used to sing praises to God, now they were raising toasts to one another. Underneath the cross where the Word of God used to be preached, they had dancing, great dancing, great music. Underneath is a discotheque where I went to the bathroom and you could buy condoms in the church. It made me sad. Really sad. There's another scene. I think I have it here. This is a grave site. They had buried someone in there. Now a group is sitting around there having lunch. The church logo seemed to kind of mock us. The church, and maybe I'm reading into it, but the U looks like a little bit of a devil's tail to me. It's like kind of in your face. And again, they didn't say this, but to me, it seemed like it was saying, hey, this is such a cool place now for drinks and dinner in this house that used to be the house of myth, superstition, and dullness of mind. Before I left, I looked at the stained glass window and I peered really close and the, I don't know if you, you can't read this, but that scripture on the stained glass window, the left one says, Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forever. The one in the middle was the one that got to me. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. It's not the house of the Lord anymore. How does the church get there? Lots of reasons. But perhaps one that I put forth to you today is the church ceased to being a hub and started to become a club and then it became a pub. May it not be so among us. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and nothing will overcome it. We get to participate. You have been listening to Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Community Presbyterian Church and its ministries, come visit us at 2800 Georgia Street in Vallejo, California. Or visit our website, cpcvallejo.org. You can also email us at cpcvallejo at sbcglobal.net. Have a blessed day.